You're listening to Get Informed America, the only true unfiltered show that's fighting fake news and finding common ground. Now, here's your hosts, Dave Oakenquist and Rodney Johnson. Hello and welcome to Get Informed America, where we're breaking through the mainstream media box to deliver you real smart news. Hi, I'm Dave Okenquist, and joining me is the smartest person I know and the editor of Informed American, Mr. Rodney Johnson. Rodney, good morning. Morning, Dave. Rodney, there's a lot going on as there, uh, as all this coronavirus stuff happening. So we've got a bunch of stuff to roll through. So I'm just going to sort of talk through the topics before we get into them. We've got the Senate passing over $2 trillion relief package. And now all eyes right now, I think as we speak, are waiting on the House. What are they going to do? We're going to get into all of that. And then, Rodney, must we kill the economy to kill the virus? I'm going to debate the economic consequences of, of shutting everything down. And is it actually the right decision to clear this thing out? Then America gives their opinion. We're going to get to some more polling data, just as we did last week. And then some bad news. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson tested positive for the coronavirus. Well, I got just a question for you, Rodney, another topic. How will the coronavirus epidemic, uh, pandemic affect immigration to the United States? And then we have a new rapid fire segment called Stupid Things I Saw in the News. I've got a, a little stack here. I'm sure you've got a couple of things on your mind that you've seen as you're pouring through the news, sifting through the mainstream media bias. And I've got a couple of, uh, couple of mainstream media things that I want, I can't wait to poke at. So, but before we get to that, Rodney, let's get to the Senate bill. It's estimated between $2 trillion, $2.1, maybe as high as $2.2 trillion. And uh, there's a bunch of things I can go through. I got a graphic from the Wall Street Journal we can walk through. But I think what most people are concerned about is, is really the household impact where just to start off, Rodney, so it's going to be $1,200 per adult, $500 per child. This would be a one-time payment. Uh, and then it scales up by income, starts to phase out at $75,000. And then no one earning above uh, $100,000, at least an, an individual, uh, well, that you don't get a check. That's it. It's just, it's, it's sort of like a middle class tax cut, isn't it, Rodney? Well, it is if you want to think of it that way. It's also coming from the Internal Revenue Service for most people. Yeah. And so it's going to feel like a refund kind of out of the blue. And uh, that's a good thing, right? Um, it's indiscriminate. It, it's not asking, well, were you affected or were you not? There are a lot of people uh, whose jobs were not affected by this. A lot of people at essential services. A lot of people in the federal government, right, still going to work every day. They're going to get a check just like everybody else. Uh, anybody who is, you know, considered in the oil field to keep the rigs going, keep the energy moving, keep the gas pumping, they're going to get a check. And so it's a, it's using a hammer. It's using a really big hammer. But that's what the government has. And so I, I wish it would have been more directed. Uh, but still, you're going to get money into some people's hands. Um, I tweeted elsewhere that I wonder if we're going to start a movement here to give it away. Uh, and I don't mean everybody. I mean, the people that weren't affected by their jobs suddenly get $1,200 or $2,400 per couple uh, in their bank account. Perhaps peel off some of it, a large part of it, all of it. I don't know, something for a local business that they like and want to support and say, hey, you know, the money was free to me. You're trying to keep your employees on at this restaurant, this hair salon, this whatever service organization. Maybe we, you know, start something where we take the responsibility to direct it where it's most needed. Interesting idea. And yeah, one of the things I've heard even before this came out is uh, people encouraging you to go out and buy at least a gift card from a, a local a local business that, that you can't 
support them now, but at least get some cash into their into their hands for you to use later. Rodney, you mentioned there's a hammer. There's more like a sledgehammer. I mean, this is a massive bill. I've got a little bit of a rundown here. It's a $454 billion to businesses, uh, $349 billion to small businesses. Hospitals are going to get about $117 billion. Public transit, $25 billion. Uh, as the household ones we mentioned, th- uh, just over $300 billion. And then there's some tax deferrals uh, extending the deadlines out. That's going to be worth a little over $200 billion. Unemployment insurance, Rodney, which they're extending it from 26 weeks to 39 weeks, which is really helpful for those who are out of work. That totals up to $250 billion. And uh, airline uh, relief around 29 Now, I did see... Uh, uh, excuse me, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin say that Bo- he doesn't expect Boeing to take government money. I thought that was interesting. What do you think of that? And what do you think of just those massive numbers I just ran through? Well, again, I mean, they're, they're, as you say, it's a sledgehammer, right? It's actually a fiscal neutron bomb. It's the <laughs> largest spending we've ever done. Yeah. And uh, it is 40% of the normal spending of the federal government every year. It's just, it's massive. And you look at a lot of things and they make you scratch your head, right? We're giving $25 million to the Kennedy Center. We're giving money to the National Endowment for the Arts. $150 billion just goes to states. It's just a gift. Here you go. Um, to states that, you know, have a big issue, state of New York, state of Washington, a couple of others. And so it, it's, it's a huge gift of money in response to something we created in our efforts to slow this down. And so we don't really know what's going to happen on the backside. We got past all of those forecasts um, after 2008, 2009, when we printed $4 trillion and thought the dollar was going to go to zero. And it didn't because everybody realized you have to own something. Do you think the yen is better? Do you think the euro is better? You've got to own something. And so here we are in the United States. The um, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet just eclipsed $5 trillion for the first time in history. But we're not alone. Other countries are doing this as well. And so it's one of those things where, relatively speaking, as long as you're kind of in the group, people are going to be okay with it. The unemployment insurance is an interesting thing because we not only extended it out, we increased the weekly benefit that people can get. Mm -hmm. And so now it truly is a matter of making more money by staying home for a number of people. Now, how many are going to do it? I don't know. Uh, But you got to believe that at the margin, you're going to have some people say, well, I didn't like the job much anyway, and I'm going to get unemployment for the next seven months. Well, but I mean, I would assume, I don't know what those benefits, how they break out, but I would assume most, uh, or whatever that level was of uninsurance, of, excuse me, unemployment insurance was not enough, uh, probably not going to cover the bills, right? Or at least what that person was earning. So I think it does make sense to bump it up a little bit because this is, this is kind of a new thing. We may have higher salary people that otherwise would not have lost their jobs and otherwise would not have been employed drawing that insurance, right? So unemployment covers your pay up to a certain level. And it used to cover it by a percentage, 55 to 70%. It can be quite low in some states. It's all set by different states. Right. Uh, but those rules are changing as we do this. Now, if you have made $100,000 and you go on unemployment, you're not going to have your $100,000 replaced. But if you made $35,000, $40,000 a year, then it, you have a very good chance at having 100% of your income replaced by unemployment benefits. And so, as I said, there, there are going to be a fair number of people who think didn't like the job much anyway. 
<laughs> yeah, that is a good point. Ronnie, there's one thing, one example I think you might, you might like. I found this on Twitter. It says the cruise industry is not confident it could borrow money from any of the existing loan programs because of offshore registration. And apparently there's a quote here saying the administration might want to work with it to allow them to, to get money. And I'm thinking, there must be some cost. I'm assuming there must be some cost to to flag or to porting for the, having a United States flag as opposed to another foreign country. I'm assuming there's some tax benefit, is my guess. And maybe you can uh, illuminate me here. But if if you're not going to be an American fleet, then maybe you shouldn't get American money. Where am I wrong here? Well, I don't know that you're wrong. President Trump came out on this and said the exact same thing when he was asked about it. He said clearly there's a. a a gap there in getting money to the cruise industry, but he likes the cruise industry, um, not only because Americans use a lot of it, but we have a lot of onshore workers that rely on them for jobs, a lot of suppliers, a lot of docks and ports and other things get money from the cruise industry. And so it is a chunk of the travel industry in the United States. And he said he would be more than happy to have the United States work with them to reflag under the United States. So there is a path to say, hey, we'll give you, you know, some funds to help you through. But guess what? We want a little bit of skin in the game as we go down the road. Oh, absolutely. Otherwise, you're just double dipping. So I hope they can work out a solution there. Love to know what all of you think. What do you think of this massive sledgehammer of a bill? Is it too much? Is it not enough? Should these should companies like uh, you know the airline companies, the cruise industry, should they get essentially a bailout? And uh, is, should we focus more on workers, or is this whole thing just a giant mess? <laughs> let you know. Let us know in the comments below, Ronnie. Must we kill the economy to kill the virus? You did at this is it is almost feels like a you break it, you bought it kind of thing with the government. I think you were kind of hinting at that earlier, which is the government tells businesses to shut down. And then now you're kind of responsible, as we see, as a balloon to the tune of two trillion dollars. This comes from a piece from Pat Buchanan, Rodney, where he says here, we cannot let the cure be worse than the promise. Uh, quoting the president here, can't let the cure be worse than the problem itself. And we've got to make a decision on which way we're going to go. And Buchanan makes an interesting point in this article. He says non-essential business is still essential to workers. That category doesn't matter. Your bills still need to be paid. And any uh, that, that famous quote from Vietnam where we had to destroy the village in order to save it. Rodney, how do we find this balance between shuttering business and, uh, and also weighing that public health issue? Well, I think the first thing we got to do is be clear-eyed as to you know what we're trying to solve. Are we trying to stop everyone from getting the flu? I, that's silly. You're not going to do it. It's a virus, for goodness sake. It's not bacteria. And so you can't beat a virus until you get a vaccine, but then you have to have everybody take the vaccine. And we don't even do that for, for influenza, right? I mean, 40 million Americans are going to have influenza this year, and roughly 4,000 are going to die from it. We know this to be true. Um, and so I don't get a flu it, shot, by the way. <laughs> I've never had one. I don't get one either. I should. I know it. But what we should be asking ourselves is, what, what's the goal? And I think the goal is to stop the people from who are most at risk, being people over 60 or people with pre-existing respiratory conditions and others, or, you know, the people that have both, stop them from getting this because it can be fatal. And it can just put you in ICU for 20 days, which is, of course, horrible in and of itself. And so if that's the goal, then... Telling 20-year-olds to not congregate on the beach isn't going to do that for you. So I, I think that the, the Brits were actually walking down the right path uh, when they said, look, we're going to do this in phases. 
where we understand we're going to go to, you know, everybody wash your hands and do it at an extreme level you haven't before. And then you should avoid gathering in public places. And then we should really, you know, curb restaurants and pubs. And then we get to shelter in place in a, in a staggered way so that essentially people get it and it creates that herd immunity. I, I don't want to gloss over the fact that if you have too many people who are getting it and end up in the hospital at the same time, you overwhelm the hospital system. Clearly, that's the problem that you're trying to resolve here or solve. Right. But we're not doing that by telling the 20-year-olds to stay off the beach. Well, and what so, about shuttering businesses, though, when you order in the clothes? I mean, well, it, the kids are going to go somewhere. But uh, well, but even, even the businesses, right? Why are you closing a skate shop? Why are you closing an ice cream parlor? Why are you closing the local bar when what you're, you're trying to go the other direction and say, look, here are the people that should be self-quarantining, who should be sheltering in place, who should be very diligent about not catching this from others. And, and, and there should be this, you know, semi-bright line between the people that we're really worried about and the people we know are going to catch it and go on with life anyway. Yeah. And we haven't done that. What we said is, hey, let's stop everybody. Yeah. And we've created this just phenomenal economic issue. And then we're trying to backfill it. And we keep saying the government, the government, the government. As you know, John Vogel famously said, the government pays nothing. The people pay everything. This, this is a, a payment that you and I are going to make as taxpayers for years to come in many different ways. Not just the money that goes out the door that ends up as government debt that we have to repay, but certainly it's going to come back as greater government intervention, uh, greater government regulations. Just a lot of things are happening here. And the precedent. We now have a precedent of the government saying, hey, guess what? Stay at home because I think you should. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we broke it and now uh, we bought it. But, you know, we, we're Americans and we value our freedom of movement. I mean, you can, you can advise people to stay home, but unless you really crack down on things, uh, I mean. Oh, no, it's illegal. I mean, <laughs> you can, you can, if you're out for anything other than essentials in uh, New York City, then the police can stop you and they can issue you a citation, which could yeah. end up in a fine. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely breaking the law now, and so there's no, but, there is a I way mean, to do in it. In other words, telling because uh, you're suggesting maybe telling higher risk populations to self isolate or something like that, and then maybe let business go as normal uh, for 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 the otherwise healthy population. But I don't know. It'd be really hard. I think I, I'm kind of seeing how would you actually get that to work without how you implement it. it yeah. that's you're right. It's not perfect. Um, and the, the, you, the problem you have is there are people who are going to not pay attention to it. And guess what? They're going to put themselves at risk and it's going to be a problem. They chose it. Yep. And so at what point do we say, yes, you actually have responsibility for what happens to you? Uh, it's a, it's, it's, it's scary. It's scary out there. They were sort of, yeah. And then you want to blame somebody. It's a, it's a, it's a tough one. Absolutely tough one. When it's such a, it's when it becomes a worldwide problem, Roddy mentioned the UK, and uh, so let's let's get into well, the news of the morning, which is that UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced that he tested positive for coronavirus. He said he developed mild symptoms over the past 24 hours and expects to continue his duties running the government. So a little bit of it's certainly bad news that he tested positive, but good news, at least at this stage, uh, it doesn't seem to be too serious and he can still work. But... It, you know, more than just Boris Johnson, you, you mentioned because the United Kingdom had 
they went wild like a couple of different ways based on information they were getting from their teams. I mean, the early estimate was a sort of, because we, we've heard it, you mentioned this before about flattening the curve. They were almost, the argument was essentially let the spike happen and then it'll go away quicker and maybe we can just get through it without shuttering the economy. That was sort of step one, wasn't it? But so the question is, you know, how do you get that herd immunity with enough people who've had it and over it and can't get it again, can't spread it? Yeah. How do you get there without causing harm to the at-risk community? And that's that's the unsolved puzzle so far. That's the one that we're all talking about. Um, and so the UK was trying to do this, as I said, in phases. And it fell apart early because Boris Johnson in a press conference was asked about, well, are you doing everything to keep people safe? And that's where the wheels come off, because if you're not doing what other nations are doing, how are you going to say yes? Um, and then we end up with these huge dislocations in the economy. Yeah, well, so that was their first study. We're going to maybe get this herd immunity thing, and we can maybe pass through it, try something different. And then they had another round of advisement that was all apocalyptic, and we're all going to die. So they shut everything down, essentially following the lead of other countries. And then... Maybe things are changing, right? We got an announcement there that maybe the that even that estimate was maybe wildly overblown. I mean, we don't know, and we're getting a little bit of information here in the United States. So it's very like by the day, you know, it's either yeah. going to go quickly. Or well, this is you know, this has been knows. something that I've been following since the beginning of this. Is the numbers don't seem to match the big estimates here, and and we had the New York Times and a number of other people quoting studies in the U.S. or estimates in the U.S. by. Um, epidemiologist that said that the spread here could be 70 million to 140 million people. Those are big numbers, right? 20 to 40 some odd percent of the population. And with the estimated, you know, death rate being several percentage points, you're talking two to five million dead in the United States. Crazy. And so the, you saw these numbers quoted. And I kept t telling people, look, those numbers don't seem to be following anything that's going on on the ground. And even, you know, in the New York Times, they would say in the article, these estimates were from February and they're if we don't do anything to mitigate it. I think we can safely say we did some things to mitigate it at this point. So, And even in England, they were relying on the Imperial College of London, which had an estimate that 500,000 would die. And yet yesterday, uh, the Imperial College of London came out and said, well, maybe it's not 500,000. Maybe it's 20,000. And maybe it's at most 20,000 and very likely much lower than that. That's and not so a rounding you, error. That's yeah, exactly. A rounding a error difference. by 480,000 at least. Right? Uh, and so that's, that's my problem with this is we were going with these really big estimates and then you're looking at what's going on on the ground and saying, if they're not matching up, why aren't we changing our response to this to match what we see happening? Right. Uh, where where you take some very extreme measures in New York City, where it's very dense population, you do have an at-risk population, you do have an issue with availability of medical uh, you know facilities, but you don't do the same in Topeka, Kansas. And so that's that is the issue. And by the way, President Trump had announced through his administration that they're going to rank every county in the United States from low, medium to high risk, and that's of course a first step in turning around and relaxing some of these things for the low-risk counties. Uh, I think that makes total sense. And uh, I don't know what, what your situation is locally, but uh, just yesterday for me, they essentially instituted a, not a lockdown, but stay at home kind of thing. Uh, they shuttered all non-essential businesses. And the county next to me uh, actually has a curfew. So uh, is, are you seeing that in your area as well? 
We have a shelter in place, more or less, because uh, I'm just south of Houston. I'm not in Harris County. I'm down in Galveston County. Yeah. Uh, so we have a shelter in place, but our governor uh, has been very specific. He is doing nothing at the gov- at the state level. And he said, look, we're, we're giving out recommendations as to how people can, you know, clearly be, you know, safe themselves. But as far as what cities should do, what counties should do, that's their call to make. Yeah. And he, he made the clear point. Texas has 254 counties and they run everywhere from Houston and Dallas, which are huge population centers, to nowhere West Texas, where six people don't see each other in the course of a week. And to say that the, the, you know, the restrictions should be the same for both is, is, you know, nonsense. And so that it's back to the point of allow people locally to set their level of restriction that makes sense for their population. Absolutely. Local knowledge will always trump whatever is uh, anything. Other than top, you know, something that's a top-down declaration, when you have very different, very different realities on the ground. Really, really interesting stuff here, and I hope our uh, our experts can figure this thing out, Rodney, and uh, deliver right information, most accurate information to uh, policy leaders and uh, those in charge that aren't wildly oscillating. It's just crazy to me. So hopefully, we can just get through this thing, Rodney. Let's get to America giving their opinion. And I want to start with something that's interesting. Uh, the president really took a beating, I think, a couple of weeks ago for his response. But the, the public sentiment has seemed to come back. He's now enjoying uh, among his highest approval ratings among a, a wide variety of, pro- of polls. Right now, I got the Gallup poll in front of me. Uh, he's get, he jumped from, uh, from since the beginning of March. He was at 44% approval, now sitting at 49%, which is tied for the highest on that poll. Anything yeah. you take from that? Yeah, I mean, he's responding uh, well, uh, clearly per this poll. A lot of people believe he's responding well in this crisis. Um, A lot of people take him to task for early on saying this was essentially a non-event, was going to blow by us, not be a big deal. And then now, you know, saying, hey, this huge thing, we've got to do all this stuff. Uh, But he looks presidential, right? Uh, He goes, he's at these uh, briefings every day and a lot of people hate him. I think they're still going to hate him because they hated him before. A lot of people loved him. They're going to love him before. But I think what you're seeing is people in the middle go, you know what? We have a federal response that seems to be moving the right direction. And uh, he's going to get credit for that. And you look on the political front, the person that this really hurts is Joe Biden. Because the, the conversation doesn't center around the election right now. We come back to it once in a while and say President Trump looks more electable by independence because of this and his response. Uh, but we're not talking about Joe Biden's policies. He held a essentially a teleconference the other day. There was a bit of fiasco. There's, he's just got no spotlight. There, there's, no, there's no reason for people to give him the microphone because we're in the midst of this pandemic and our response issue that doesn't center around the Democratic uh, National Committee or the Democratic candidate or anything. And so there's really a vacuum of information on the political front and, you know, it, it hurts the person who's not in front of the camera. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And uh, Joe Biden, uh, this week, I believe, began doing some sort of teleconferencing uh, interviews with people and just ch- right. doing some stuff, I believe, on his YouTube channel and on social media. And it's apparently not reaching a lot of people because, to your point, right, what, he's not making any decisions. And just almost by default, uh, it, it's just who's more presidential. Well, it's, you know, it's the president who's doing something right now. We're not talking in theory. We're talking right. real things going on at the moment, right? Right. And, and we're not talking about tariffs with China and we're not talking about, you know, agreements or conversations uh, with North Korea. We're not talking about, which I think you're going to get to, um, 
migrants coming across the southern border uh, of the United States. We're not talking about a lot of the hot buttons that people uh, were talking about before. And when it comes to the economic side, there's this you know huge thing going on that everybody understands. Now, we, we may or may not like the responses or whatever else, but we get it. And so while the president did lose one of his you know biggest positives coming into this, which is the stock market fell all the way back to where it was when he uh, was elected, and it's since recovered a little bit, um, chances are it's not going to go back to the recent highs before the election. And so, you know, it is what it is. But he's in front of the camera and people are feeling better about the federal government's response to this. Yeah. And uh, I think the daily press briefings, I think, was a change and it's having a dramatic effect on uh, being able to message directly to the public. And I've noticed that a lot of uh, a lot of left leaning uh, reporters are urging uh, stations to no longer carry his broadcast. I just find it completely hilarious. (laughs) Rodney, Rodney, you mentioned immigration. So let's pause. Let's actually just go there to that question, because it's not it's not a really deep topic, but just something that just kind of came came to mind, which is uh, in the last uh, the great financial crisis, it was certainly, it was driven by housing and a lot of migrant workers here in the United States lost their jobs and actually went back over the southern border because everything had just sort of dried up. Now, we're, this is clearly a different situation here, but jobs have also dried up here yet again all over the country and really kind of all across uh, the, the, the economy, all different kinds of, all different classes of jobs. So my question really here, just, just to spitball, what, what does immigration or what, what impact does the coronavirus and the shuttering of businesses have on immigration? Will we see the same thing we saw, uh, over 10 years ago, uh, with the great financial crisis? Well, I think you'll see a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, if the low income jobs do go away, uh, clearly you'll see more people go back home. The, the, the big migration change after 2008 was that our migration with Mexico ended up being net negative. More people were going back home than were coming right. for several years. Um, now, we're not in that situation right now because we have a lot of people from Central America coming, uh, claiming asylum, these other things, uh, because they face very dire things going on in their countries, you know, Honduras and uh, Guatemala and uh, Nicaragua. And so, anyway... It's a different reason, right? And so we have a lot of people are coming that way. You got to remember that, of course, you know that we get a lot of immigrants that show up on airplanes. I mean, they got tickets, and so they get visas. They come as students. They come, you know, in many different ways. A lot of them overstay their visas for years and years, and so that's where a big chunk comes from. What this is going to do, I believe, is one drive some people back home. If they don't see those jobs come back, although I think those jobs will come back fairly quickly because, you know, people want their lawn done. People want whatever it is, right? That we tend to fill, uh, low end service jobs with migrants. Right. But um, what do those people do in the meantime? They're not going to get, as far as I understand, only citizens are going to, are a part of this relief package. So. Right. You have to have a social security number. Right. So what are and, they two, three months without anything and no assistance? I, I don't know. Maybe they have a savings that they can eat through, but I, I would see it would be a very tough decision. Do I stay and wait or is it better? Would things better be at home? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, they're out doing lawns in my neighborhood right now. Oh, wow. So, you know, <laughs> are back. is it essential? I don't know. Yeah. But my, my point is, I think there's going to be a dramatic change in how countries treat migration uh, in the months ahead, at least, as people say, wait a second. I look at what China's doing where they say they're closing their borders almost completely because they don't want people to bring back or reintroduce the, you know, coronavirus to their nation. And so this is, this is going to be a big thing because now President Trump and the administration has a huge reason to say, look, 
We have all of these people that are seeking to get in this country. We have a health reason to say, we're going to do this through the smallest gate possible where you have to go through this, you know, multi-step quarantine thing, even if you qualify, which slows it down even more than it already was. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I mean, the game has completely changed on uh, a variety of topics. And just, yep. you know, just putting aside for now, this the trade deal with China, good luck with that. <laughs> well, who's even talking about it, right? Uh, because they were supposed to be buying an extra $200 billion worth of goods over the next two years. I, I saw a report that uh, the expectation is that the demand for oil is going to fall about 14 million barrels a day over this, which is uh, more than the entire use of the country of China. And it is essentially a little more than the United States produces every day. And so you're going to create some some huge gaps in international trade for that. Certainly will. Right, let's let's jump right back to the poll. I got one more thing I want to hit. This is another back from Gallup saying approval ratings of U.S. leaders and institutions in handling the response to the coronavirus. And this is a simple approve or disapprove. At the top are hospitals at 88 uh, percent, your state, uh, your school, 83 percent, state government, 82, your employer, 82 percent. Um, hmm. Maybe it's a, it's a those are the people that still have their jobs, maybe. Uh, government health agencies, 80%. The vice president, 61%. President Trump, 60%. Congress, 59%. And something that just warms the cockles of my heart, the news media, 44% dead last. <laughs> what do you make of these numbers? It follows right in line. I'm surprised Congress gets 59%. It's, it's the highest I've seen them get for anything really since 9-11. Yeah. Um, maybe they had a higher number during the Great Recession. I don't know. Um, but it falls in line. People tend to come together when you have crises like this and, and they're not as, you know, quick to bash. And so it makes sense. Uh, the media getting low marks. I think that's indicative of what we've seen for years coming down the road, whereas the Internet has made it easier to get the real information. You can go out and find, you know, the actual studies and you don't have to rely on these big newspapers and other organizations to qualify it for you. And you can look and say, wait a second, you know, that as we've been talking about, this estimate of the number of infections and dead is from an estimate from February as with no mitigation. Why in the world are you quoting this in mid-March? It makes no sense. And so when you can when you can look through that, when you can break down that lens and get to the real data, it uh, it does leave you with a bad taste in your mouth when you realize what you've been told for so long. Certainly. I'd love to know what all of you think. What do you think of the job the president is doing in handling the crisis and his job overall? How do you think the media is handling the crisis? And how do you think uh, places like hospitals, schools, your employers, what is, what is your thoughts on how they're handling this thing? Let me know in the comment section below. Ronnie, it is time for our rapid fire segment called Stupid Things I Saw on the Internet. I'm going to run. I'm going to shoot these at you. And just to get your, <laughs> your gut reaction, let me know. All right, let's start off. Massachusetts governor bans reusable shopping bags. Disposable plastic is better during a pandemic. The story comes from informedamerica.com, so I'd encourage you to check out the full thing. Ronnie, what do you make of this? Does climate change, we don't need to worry about that now, or what? <laughs> I don't think that people interested in climate change are, are going to be uh, rushing out to buy plastic bags, but I know people with dogs who have to pick up after them are very happy to see this come mm -hmm. I've got a pile of those bags, as you can see behind me, actually. I have a picture of my dog. When you I, said a pile, I was hoping you were going to be talking about the bags. It is the bags. 
<laughs> Let's move on, Rodney. Uh, oh, this is this is a great one. I actually did a video on this. Uh, check out our Facebook page. Uh, it, it's what I was uh, a- analyzing media bias related to this story. Man dies after drinking fish tank cleaner that contains chloroquine. Wife blames Trump. This story is also on InformedAmerican.com. Check that out. Rodney, did the president tell people to ingest fish tank cleaner? <laughs> I don't remember him saying that. I do remember <laughs> him saying many times that uh, he thinks the chloroquine and its close cousin, you know, hydroxychloroquine, if I said that right, uh, are pretty good at this and should be uh, used for this. Um, and, of course, it used in conjunction with ZPAC. But I don't think he told anybody to do this without a doctor and certainly didn't say use fish tank cleaner for it, which was, you know, I think hydrochloroquine phosphate, if I recall. Uh, and so blaming somebody else for not reading the package or making just a stupid mistake, I don't know. I'm not buying it. Excellent. Uh, Rodney, I've got some mainstream media stupidity. Uh, this is a tweet from Ken uh, Delanian. He works for NBC. He says, with Italy in dire need of medical equipment and uh, an economic superpower stepped in to help. No, not the United States. It was China. As the U.S. struggles to stem the coronavirus, China positions itself as a global leader. And this guy got absolutely savaged on for this tweet with people quoting a story, uh, one here. Uh, uh, I don't have the source here, but it says it, it, the article is entitled Spain bought 640,000 testing kits from China. They don't work. Here's another one. 80% of coronavirus tets, tests given to checks by China are faulty. So it's just, what do you why are you carrying water for the Chinese government? Very odd there. Your thoughts? I, I shake my head at the whole thing, right? I, I wish that we could help everyone. But the first thing people do is ask, you know, hey, are we going to be safe? Are we going to take care of the people that's our first responsibility in our country? And then do what we can with other people, which clearly we should be doing. Uh, and so why you would say, you know, the United States is not responding as it should, whereas the nation that was essentially... They didn't do it on purpose. I, I don't think the Chinese created this, but, you know, the pandemic came from there and they hid the information for months. There's no question about that. It seems like, you know, you're you're giving props to the person who's helping you chase down the horse when he's the one who let it out of the barn. It's like, yeah, mm, absolutely. Not nuts. Thank you idea. so much, NBC. I got one more on this one, Rodney. This one comes from an article by Mark Fisher in the Washington Post. And unfortunately, this article is paywalled, and I'm not paying for the Washington Post to read the whole thing. But I think the title gives gives enough. And uh, certainly check this one out on Twitter. It says, Scott McMillan, a 56-year-old lawyer, tweeted that it's more vital to revive the economy than to save people who are, quote, not productive, like the elderly and infirm. So I called his parents. That's the story. <laughs> he didn't like what the guy said on Twitter, so he contacted his parents, and the Washington Post published it. <laughs> so there was a... Um, your parents for things you said on the internet, Rodney? I'm sorry? Has anyone ever called your parents for things they didn't like that you said? Not internet? that I know of, but would my parents tell me or would they hang up on them? I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Rodney, is there anything uh, stupid thing you saw on the internet you want to you wanna hit? There's a lot of stupid things on the internet. I, I, I actually gravitate toward the good things I've seen. <laughs> I've seen truckers who are, um, saying that they don't care about the logs anymore where they're required to, they, they are restricted to only drive so many hours and they're instead blowing through those restrictions and saying, look, I have supplies, restaurant or grocery stores have some bare shelves. I'm going to do what I can to get it from here to there. And so you see those people doing it. You see, you know, Joanne Fabric turning their stores into sewing areas for up to 10 people so that they can stay separate. 
and providing the materials and the machines for people to sew masks and to sew gowns that conform to um, the requirements for those things. And so a lot of good things people are doing to look up and say, hey, what can I do? How can I be part of the solution? And then they're stepping in to fill the gap. I like that. Uh, so do I. Yeah. And I'd love to hear from all of you if you have any positive stories uh, that Ronnie was talking about like that, people stepping up to help the community and uh, the stupid things like I tend to look for. <laughs> Share those in the comment section below. Thank you so much, Ronnie, for joining me. I want you all to know that you can become an informed American by subscribing to this channel. We want to create a conversation. Hit up the comments below. Let's start talking about things. Tell us what you think. If you've enjoyed this show, please hit the like button. If you happen to be listening to this show on a podcast platform, we'd love if you give a review and a rating on iTunes or whatever, wherever you get your podcast. You can also please go to Informed American where you can get more stories just like the ones we talked about where we deliver real smart news. For Rodney Johnson, I'm Dave Oakenquist telling you to get informed, America. You've been listening to Get Informed America, brought to you by the Informed American Radio Network. Please like and subscribe today in order to get new exclusive weekly episodes. Any questions, thoughts, or comments can be sent directly to info at informedamerican.com. And don't forget to visit informedamerican.com to keep up with real, smart news. Until next time. Fight fake news and find common ground.